Canada has the second largest oil reserves in the world. It's the United States' largest single source of oil. In order to move the crude, Canadian companies have built a network of pipelines that branch out from the province of Alberta, which is the source. Now they want to expand exports to Asia, so are seeking permission to build a pipeline that would cross the province of British Columbia to a port on the Pacific Ocean. Tankers would then navigate down the coast of British Columbia and out to the Pacific. Warren Mabey is a professor of energy and environmental policy at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. He outlines who is in favor of this so-called Northern Gateway Pipeline. Certainly the oil companies and the pipeline companies, but, but more than that, there uh, is strong government support for developing pipelines. The federal government in Canada has been uh, very vocal about their support for new pipeline development, seeing that as a key element of their economic strategy. There is uh, government support from some of the provinces, not all of our provinces, and there uh, certainly is, is strong support from some of the states. On the other side, the opposition to the pipeline has garnered some ammunition with the report of the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board released last week. Its review of the 2010 oil spill in the state of Michigan blamed pervasive organizational failures by Enbridge, along with weak regulations for the pipeline rupture and oil spill. It went so far as to identify what it called a complete breakdown of safety at Enbridge, saying its employees performed like Keystone cops, failing to recognize the rupture and continuing to pump crude into the environment. Sean Courage is an assistant professor of Canadian and environmental history at York University in Toronto. He outlines the two major criticisms in the report. There were questions about maintenance uh, on the line. Uh, since 2004, Enbridge had been made aware of the risk of corrosion along the pipeline, which had been attributed to be the cause of the rupture that took place in 2010, uh, and that the company hadn't done anything to address this. And there was criticism about the response time to the rupture, uh, that there was an over 17-hour delay in responding to the initial alarms that a rupture had taken place uh, on the pipeline in Michigan. And Professor Maybe outlines just who is opposed to the Northern Gateway Pipeline and why. The opposition so far has been uh, from First Nations and from environmental groups and from some local communities. We have not yet heard the, uh, the Premier uh, really articulate a position for or against pipelines, although as we've talked about, she has talked about Enbridge and she has, uh, you know, kind of made it clear that she expects better performance if they are going to build a pipeline. Northern BC is an area that is contentious because there are overlapping land claims from First Nations that have not been settled. Uh, it is a very, very mountainous terrain. It is ecologically sensitive. Uh, it is one of our, our kind of treasure houses in terms of, of biological diversity. Uh, so obviously a number of people are very concerned about the prospect of running a pipeline through this landscape. Public opinion seems to be changing. In the past, the population of British Columbia appeared to be evenly divided for and against the pipeline. But a public opinion survey last April showed a majority opposing it. While the provincial government may not be able to out-and-out -out stop the project, it does have the power to set up regulatory roadblocks in the form of slowing down the issuance of building permits. Professor Courage says Aboriginal groups in the province could have some power to block the pipeline. It seems as though they probably have the strongest legal case 
the province of British Columbia is somewhat of an anomaly in Canada. Uh, most uh, regions of Canada have uh, treaties uh, that were signed uh, many uh, years ago between Aboriginal nations, uh, the federal government of Canada, and the government of Britain. British Columbia is an anomaly in this case because most of the mainland of British Columbia has not been ceded through treaty negotiations to uh, the Canadian government, and so the legal status of that land um, is still in uh, somewhat of a legal limbo, and so these uh, First Nations probably have the strongest legal case to oppose the construction of a pipeline across land that ostensibly has not been ceded to the government of Canada or the government of British Columbia. There's also a sense that in the past, pipeline projects were good for nation-building, bringing energy to parts of the country that were growing. But new pipelines are seen more as benefiting other countries, providing few jobs in Canada and many risks. Professor Maybe says there's growing public awareness and that in order for a big new project like this to be built, governments and companies will have to work hard to rebuild what he calls the social license. So they've got to kind of uh, regain public trust, demonstrate that they are going to make the changes that are necessary in order to safeguard the operations of these projects. And they need to, you know, I think they need to be transparent and open with the public uh, as they move forward. And one of the things that that means, unfortunately, is that there needs to be time devoted to this kind of discussion. If we're not going to get that time in the form of hearings, uh, because the environmental assessment process has been curtailed, maybe we need to make that time somewhere else. In its last budget, the Canadian government moved to streamline environmental hearings on big projects. It wanted to avoid the duplication that sometimes occurred when two levels of government, federal and provincial, examined the impact of big projects. While that might speed up this one, it might fall short of reassuring the public that the Northern Gateway Pipeline is indeed beneficial for Canada. Lynn Desjardins, Radio Canada International.